there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. You know, I, I love that image of being able to run with our arms wide open uh, towards our Savior and towards His love. Sometimes when you get into circumstances like this week uh, where you have nowhere else to go. When I was in my first year of college at Cincinnati Bible College then, uh, I was privileged to hear, to me, one of the greatest preachers and speakers of the Restoration Movement, a man named Sherwood Smith. And he led us in our study of the Gospels. He was just a prince of a guy. But he said this, he said, Whenever I gather on a Sunday and the church family comes together for worship, he said, one of the things that I always try to remember is that there is at least one person in the crowd with a freshly broken heart. And I've never forgotten that. I look around uh, this room every Sunday morning, and I'll bet there's more than one broken heart in this room today. And I just want you to know that you have a Heavenly Father who also has his arms wide open, that you can run into his arms. And I want you to know that, that, that honestly, I don't know sometimes what's going on within your life. Maybe there's a breach in your family right now that is just incredibly difficult and painful. Maybe your marriage is challenged, or there's a physical illness or a death. Maybe you're grieving a loss within your life, or maybe your life is like a piece of Swiss cheese, and it's, it's just riddled through with things that are just gnawing at you. And I want you to hear one of my favorite verses in the Bible that I like to hold on to in times like that. It's Psalm 34, 18. And Psalm 34, 18 simply says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Uh, And if you're feeling crushed in spirit right now, if you're broken in heart, you need to know that God is closer to you, perhaps, than he has ever been before. You see, God inhabits the praise of his people, and when we sing and when we pray, we acknowledge his presence is here with us right now, and we can run to him. And if this week, this last week, was the week that it was for you, Uh, and there is a fresh sense of brokenness or woundedness within your life. I am so grateful that we can gather and worship the one who said in Matthew 11, 28, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Would you pray with me uh, one more time as we begin the message? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm just thankful that we can run into your arms, that we can walk, we can hobble, we can crawl or drag into your arms knowing that you love us. And Father, that you're never far because you love us, you're close. God, I thank you for your presence in this room this morning with us because we're here in your name. And Father, you've come to receive You've come to oversee, to watch, as we participate in this gift of worship. We've met at your table. We fulfilled your request, your command in faithfulness. And now, Lord, we come into your word. And I just ask that you would do what no preacher by himself could ever do. That, Father, you would breathe life through the spoken word and draw us close to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me welcome you again into the series of Leveling Up in the Church, where we 
are trying to level up as individuals and as a church to the character, the grace, and the goodness of God. And I want to thank you uh, for the feedback so many of you have given to me on the uh, first two messages of the series, positive and negative. Uh, It is encouraging to see you walking around, kicking the tires, uh, asking questions about this. And I appreciate you engaging with me because this is really about the life of this church. And uh, for today and next week, we're going to be asking questions and expressing a vision that can really define the next 23 years of this congregation's life. And I want to encourage you to dream big because we believe as a congregation that the real church has always attempted to do something God-sized, something so large, something that required supernatural involvement so much that we would know that if God wasn't in it, it would fail. And even in the midst of one of the toughest economies that we have seen in our lives, uh, even in the midst of a barrage, I mean, for a congregation of our size, you've got to admit, we've got a lot of health issues that have been afflicting our members. And, and please, if any of you are guests with us this morning, uh, don't, don't sweat that. Uh, but I want to invite you to watch. Watch the lives of the believers in this room and see how they react to all these things going on within their lives. You heard me for the past two weeks in this Level Up Vision share with you what I've been dreaming about. And if you haven't planned to do it, I hope that every single one of you uh, are going to make plans to be part of one of those home group Bible studies that you will become part of sharing your week-to-week God journey with one another. Uh, I received a text this past week that, that I thought was worth sharing with you. It said this, I had never walked into the doors of another church until I came to the Springfield Church of Christ. My husband and I were baptized at the Springfield Church of Christ, and later, so were our children. It's like Roger Nurse said when he visited the church a few weeks ago, there's no other church like the Springfield Church of Christ, and I am proud to be part of this church. I I loved hearing that. My prayer is that those kinds of stories are being written here and around here every week. And I want to ask uh, you a question this morning to begin that I've asked in a number of different ways, and sometimes I've asked it outright. I want you to think about what does it take to please God? When some people think about what it takes to please God, uh, sometimes you think back to experiences you've had in your life, the kind of steps that, that you went through. Some of you grew up learning to recite certain kinds of prayers, or you learn to chant certain kinds of of creeds and statements and prayers. Some of you have lit incense, you light a candle. Uh, Some of you, you you kneel on a rug or you kneel on a kneeling bench within the church and, and you repeat the words of a minister or something like that. And as good as some of those things may be, that's not what the Bible says. Some people think that the way you please God is through the three R's of rules, rituals, and regulations. And if you observe enough of these rituals, if you observe enough of these holy days or accumulate a bunch of religious experiences within your life, then finally you will hear God say in your spirit, you're all right. You've made it on my A-list. Some people think the way you please God is by making a list of all the things that you're supposed to do. 
And if you'll just focus hard enough on all the stuff you're supposed to do and make a list of all the things you're not supposed to do and you stay away from those, then at the end of your life, God will give you a big thumbs up and he'll say, I'm pleased with you. But again, that's not what the Bible says pleases God. In fact, the Bible says it is impossible to please God without one thing in your life. And here's that one thing. It comes in Hebrews eleven six, and I want you to read this out loud with me this morning together. Let's do this together, okay? Hebrews eleven six with me. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone that comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently or earnestly seek him. It's impossible to please God without what? Faith. You see, having real faith that trusts God, that's what pleases him. And I want to talk to you about that faith this morning. And I want to talk about how we need to level up in our faith to God's character, and I want to apply it to some of the challenges that we have faced, that we are facing, and that we're probably going to face as a church family together. If you've got the scripture with you this morning, and I hope you do, I want you to turn to the fourth book of the Old Testament, the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. That's not a book that I ask you to turn to every day, uh, but I'm going to ask you to turn there and go to the 13th chapter. If you don't have a Bible and somebody near you does, I bet they'll share with you. Uh, If you need one, see me after the service. I'd be happy to give you a copy of God's Word to take home with you. But Numbers 13, and here's the context. The Israelites have, have been led by God out of Egypt, and they are standing on the lip, on the edge of the promised land that God had prepared for them. God has miraculously delivered them from slavery. He's delivered them from Pharaoh. And while they're out there on the edge of this promised land, they send 12 spies over the river into the land of Canaan to check it out for the next 40 days. And these spies return with their reports. And they've got some good news, and they've got some, yeah. The good news is is that the land... It's even better than they ever hoped it could be. It's more incredible than they ever imagined that it would be. They described it as a land flowing with milk and honey. But the bad news, Numbers 13, verse 28, look what it says. The bad news is that the people who live there, they're powerful. And their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw, the reporter said, the descendants of Anak there. Now, the Anakim were this race of of legendary giants. They were related to the Rephaim that were related to Goliath, a name that you probably recognize, who was one of the Anakim from the city of Gath in the Old Testament. One of them in the Old Testament, we learned, was nine feet tall and had a bed that was made out of iron. I mean, these were giants of renown. And I, I remember, you know, some of these spies that said that, that, that we looked like grasshoppers next to these people. I remember walking across uh, the campus of the University of Kentucky one time, and, and I grew up watching NCAA basketball with Kenny Walker, Kenny the Skywalker, and I thought he was one of the greatest players, and, and, and I, I walked past him, and on TV, he looked like an average guy. Now, I'm 5'11", and this guy walked past me, and I mean, he was a tree topper, and I felt so small standing next to him. The people began to grumble and complain that night 
because of these giants, because of the, the, the fortified cities that laid before them. And, and they began to say things like, we would have been better off back in Egypt. At least there, we could have died of old age. You know, we had it pretty good as slaves back in Egypt. There were no giants to worry about there. And what's so great about living in a land of milk and honey anyway? Sounds sticky to me, right? I mean, we've all had great things before us in Egypt. We had all the leeks. We had all the onions that we could eat. That was their diet, I guess. And we didn't have to worry about where our next meal was coming from. We, we had leaders, and now our leaders, they're leading us on some wild goose chase, and we could have been back in Egypt. At least we were safe there. And so Moses and Joshua and Caleb, their leaders, and Aaron, they make an impassioned plea to the people. They say to them, please, please follow God with a real faith that trusts God. God will always be on the level with you, and you can level up in your faith to his character. He will never let you down. Depend upon him. And the results of their impassioned plea, many of the people wanted to stone them to death, literally. And friends, God has had his hands, I believe, on this church in the past in some incredible ways. And we stand on a great turning page in the history of this church family. God has brought people to us that matter to him. Every one of you in this room this morning, whether you're a member or not, you matter to God. And we've got a, a vision of making this exponential impact in the years to come. And because we believe that, the sons of Anak, they've made themselves known. They stand in our pathway and they loom large before us right now. We know every time that Roger stands in the pulpit and, and seems to give his financial reports, and that's not easy for him to do, but we hear how we have had to, to step back financially. And rather than being able to step up as a congregation, we have slipped back and we are cutting hours, not the work of two-thirds of the staff. We have a roof that leaks and air handlers that need replacing. And more than that, we have had people that, that we drive past, people we speak to, people that we live with every single day that have zero relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we have battlefield orders from the God of Scripture. And this is a time like no other before. We have to live by a faith that levels up to the goodness, the greatness, and the supply of the God that we follow. And I ask, what do we learn from this story in Numbers 13 about leveling up in our faith? And I want you to see that this kind of faith that levels up, first of all, it's a faith that focuses on the vision instead of the obstacles. We focus on vision instead of the opticals. With victory just across the river, the Israelites lost sight of the vision. And all they could see was how large the people were, how large their homes, how large these forts were. And, and i got to say, from a human standpoint, that's understandable. Because these giants seem insurmountable. They feel like the, the old Peanuts cartoon. You guys remember that growing up in the paper? And Charlie Brown, he's standing on, on the pitching mound, and he's just slumped over. You can tell. 
He feels like an absolute failure. He's shaken. His shoulders are drooping with a sense of futility that's setting in. Linus is catching, but he comes out to the pitcher's mound for one of those uh, pep talks. And he comes to the mound and he says this to him. He says, Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, we are surrounded by insurmountable opportunities. I like that. Like Linus, Numbers 13, verse 30, it is Caleb that silences the people, a man whose name means the dog. (laughs) They didn't have much of a high esteem of this man, but God sure did. Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. There are insurmountable opportunities here, but all the people could see were insurmountable obstacles. Now, friends, let me tell you a little something about vision. It shares something in common with discouragement. They both leak. And if you allow discouragement to settle into your faith and into your life, it will leak on those that worship with you. But if you capture the vision of Scripture, of a God-infused, powerful vision, it too will leak. It really does. The pilgrims, When they first made plans to come to this country, they were filled with vision and they took a risk. And they sailed across an entire ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, to the New World. And the first year here, they established a town. The second year that they were here, they established a council to govern them. The third year here, that council voted to build a road five miles into the wilderness to the west. The fourth year they were there, The people wanted to impeach their leaders for wasting money on building a road five miles into the wilderness. Public funds. They began to lose their vision. Think about it. At one time, they were able to look across an entire ocean and see something grand that God had planned before them. And now they couldn't even look five miles down the road. Helen Keller was once asked, is there anything worse than being blind? And she said this, yes, having sight, but no vision. You've probably heard the scripture before in Proverbs 29, 18, that says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. The NIV literally says, where there's no revelation, people cast off their restraints. They forget the purpose for which God brought them together to move forward together. And that kind of sounds like something the great apostle Paul once said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Actually, the Holy Spirit said it through Paul to believers here at the Springfield Church of Christ on Sunday, September the 23rd of 2018, the Holy Spirit said, we live by faith, not by sight. Vision, friends, it's the ability to see God's presence, God's plan, and God's power in spite of the obstacles we see before us. And granted, Some of the giants that stand before us as a church family are pretty fearsome and awesome right now. I have set before you over a hundred new lives that I want to reach for Jesus in the next three to five years. I've also set before you the vision that we want to have people studying God's word from house to house so that there is not a community within 20 miles of this church that doesn't have a home Bible study going on. 
And I've asked as well that in the next five years, we triple the amount of volunteers we have as a church family. Now, even if you don't see those parts of the vision, I have asked you, I have implored you as your minister to pray like you have never prayed before. And even sacrifice like you've never sacrificed before. Those equal a giant of biblical proportions. But can you imagine what happens on the other side of that vision? What the accomplishment of that will look like? Envision what can be by God's presence, by God's plan, and by God's power. I believe that God deeply wants to use his bride, his church, to make an enormous impact all over Clark County in the world. In a world where people misunderstand the identity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In a world where people are more cynical about churches that are more interested in gathering in their holy huddle than reaching out to people that live next door to them in their community and world. I have a dream. You see, I have a dream of a church that reaches out to their unchurched neighbor with amazing grace. I have a dream of a church where the skeptic, the seeker, the agnostic, and the atheist... And the person who has fears about God come and maybe discover him for the first time in their life. That they really, really matter to God. I have a dream of a church where instead of playing it safe with church services and and satisfying people with a consumeristic mentality, I have a dream of a spiritual trauma center where the beaten down and the hurting of this world come to find healing and the unconditional love and mercy of an amazing God. I dream of a church where services are held for hundreds of believers and spiritual explorers alike who are learning to become the worshipers that God seeks in spirit and truth, pursuing God's word together, pursuing a passion for him and being equipped and called to go into a world I dream of a church like that, of a church with connection groups, meaning all over the place, not just in homes, but in offices and in restaurants and coffee shops, on on school campuses and on university campuses as well, that will reach out to, to kids and teachers and administrators with the power of Jesus Christ and hope. I dream of Adults making an impact on the world from Clark County to Haiti and Southeast Asia and America Light, which we all know is Canada, and Kosovo and Italy, because they have abandoned it all for the sake of the call. I dream of a church that is incredibly organized and and compassionate in their ministry to the poor in our society, to the ostracized addicted, to the unemployed of our city, forgotten nursing home residents, fostering children and the power and the hope and the giving the presence and the power of God to those that are in our jails, in our prisons. I dream of a church like that. I dream of sending dozens of cross-cultural missionaries that are dietitians and teachers and nurses and carpenters and farmers that are sitting in this room right now out into the world because they want to hear the words of Jesus If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who's my disciple, truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. I dream of a church 
that is leading the way and breaking down the racial walls in this community that divide us and that we would come together as black and white and Asian and Hispanic and Jew to celebrate the unity and the oneness that only comes in the pursued passion of Jesus Christ. I dream of a church like that. I dream of a church where where marriages are regularly upheld and restored, where moms and dads find help, a church where children and teens and a whole generation of lost ones are valued to the point that we put our personal preferences on the shelf in order to reach one more for Jesus. Friends, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the church I dream of. How about you? Do you want to be a part of the kingdom of a church that is aware of God's presence, that seeks His plan and not our own, that seeks His power to fulfill the vision despite the obstacles, the giants that stand before us? You see, I want to see within that vision I have personally that one day we're going to be in heaven together. And because of what you or I choose to do within the next month, within the next year, Two, three, four, and five. That heaven will be greater populated and hell will be depopulated because this church exists. Now the second lesson that I learned from the Israelites is this. Faith confronts fears instead of running from them. It does no good to not acknowledge that the giants are there, but we confront them. I don't think it was wrong for these Israelites at first to just express their apprehension. I would have been afraid against going up against these giants. These people were slaves, and now they're soldiers. What's going to happen to my kids if I go into battle and and Daddy doesn't come home? What's going to happen? And still, their concept of God was just developing, and they're asking the question, what if we go into Canaan and they actually do have gods that are stronger than Yahweh? And and I've heard rumors about our leader's character, about this Moses before he became our leader. I hear he was just a shepherd out in the land of Midian in the desert. I hear he was a fugitive from Pharaoh. I heard that Moses was a real hothead and one day he got ticked off and he murdered an Egyptian and buried him in the sand to cover it up. I heard he really didn't even want to lead us to begin with and that God had to, to twist his arm. And now you're telling me to conquer giants with a leader like that? Look at Numbers 13, verse 32 again. And these people begin to spread a rumor among the Israelites. A bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored, it devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We looked like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. And of these spies and the people that listened and believed the report, they allowed themselves to become paralyzed by their fear. And they wanted to run away. But friends, if you're going to level up in your faith to follow God, we've got to confront our fears instead of running from them. And one of the best things we can do sometimes is to take our darkest fears and our biggest apprehensions and just bring them out into the light. You see, tell the truth about them. Just to express some of the fears that I've heard uh, in the time I've been here as your minister, and I'll have been there this coming year for 10 years here. Uh, But one of the things that I've heard around here from time to time is, are we spending 
too much on the wrong things? Is it wrong to focus on, on the needs of the building itself and, and the worship center? And that's a good question. That's a fair question, right? And, and one of the things I've discovered as I work through Scripture is that God is into building ministry and worship centers. He is a, here's a little quiz for you Bible buffs out there. Can you name the book of the Bible, the entire book that, where God is ticked off that the people have not built him a house of worship? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Anybody? Okay. Um, it's the book of, of Haggai in the Old Testament. The entire book. And God says he's angry. He's upset with the nation. He said, you've spent all your money on your own nice houses, and you haven't even built me an adequate house of worship. And so God says, I'm going to stop blessing the work of your hands. I'm going to stop blessing your businesses. And and, and that got their attention. (laughs) Here's another trivia question. How much is okay to invest in a church, in a sanctuary? You know how much the temple costs that God designed? That he spoke to, to David and to Solomon and said, here's exactly how I want you to build my house. In today's gold prices, and you know what the price of gold is today, Solomon's temple cost $174 billion, with a B, dollars. $174 billion. David raised all that money. For the building where God would be worshipped. And God said David was a man after his own heart. And I walk into this place and there's times that I walk into any church and I think all of this for a God who says, I don't live in a building made by human hands. Now, hear me correctly. God's into building buildings and ministries. But they go together. Anything invested here needs to be for the outreach that takes place from this place or the inreach to build one another up as brothers and sisters in Christ. A building is a building unless it fulfills the purpose of glorifying God and building on the faith, the love, the teaching that comes because of God's presence within our lives. I've seen people in Africa that are starving and and I I think about what could happen if we took the, the money that we give on a Sunday morning, all of it, and just send it to the mission field there. And, and then I think how much more can be done when we take care of the place God has entrusted to us and we show we're faithful with a few things, how God says, I'll make you ruler over much. And when we take care of this place and the ministries that happen here and God brings more people into his kingdom, suddenly what could be sent to those that are starving begins to increase by his good compassion and love. I want you to consider this, and, and those of you know this first number, uh, the, new, the price tag of the new Northeastern schools uh, for, for 3,300 students cost $117 million. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you for paying that out of your house taxes and stuff, okay? The price of the Springfield Regional Medical Center, which I got to be in for three days this week, and the 254 new beds they have was over $1.06 billion, again, with, with a B. The price tag of building the new, uh, if you've seen it on the news, the big city center hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada with 4,000 rooms, $9.2 billion. Think about those three things. You build a school to educate the mind. A hospital is built to heal the body. Casinos are built for what? Personal indulgence 
Churches are built to redeem and reach souls for Jesus Christ. You see, this is not some artificial monument where we check in and check out. This is not some place without a value. People don't come and ooh and ah at the building here like they're going to do in Las Vegas, Nevada. But this church was built and invested in to enable us to accomplish our mission. And maybe I'm jaded on this, but casinos, I've not seen them do one thing in the positive to building up families and lives in this world. And we should celebrate the fact that we as a church are getting ready to pay off not only the mortgage of this church, but we as a faculty and staff and church, we are trying to put families back together again. We're trying to put lives back together again. We're trying to see marriages that are healthy and give the next generation something to look forward to, to point people towards Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for a church that's invested in that kind of faith and courage and vision. Now, the next giant that stands in our way is is really the question, what if we don't have enough? If we don't have enough resources or people to cross the finish line? What if we can't complete our mission? What if we as a church lose more people? And believe me, I have laid in bed with that one wide awake many nights. But I believe, friends, it is better to do something for God and to fail than to do nothing and succeed. You see, in this world, over half the churches in America, not just Christian churches, over half the churches in America failed to add one new member last year by either transfer or baptism. Half the churches not, did not grow, but they shrunk. And you understand what that does to a minister or to a leader's heart. What, if we, what do we do? I want you to hear, though, what, what it was written in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. If you're going to be afraid about something, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he's done for you. The late Corey Tin Boom, the Holocaust survivor, said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. You see, we need to start asking the right questions. It's not what's going to happen if, it's what would or what can God do if we fully surrender to him. And if we sign up for some of the challenges along the way, I promise you there's going to be some dark nights of the soul along the way. There's going to be some challenges that we have to to face as a family to grow, to be a congregation that really is a body of believers in the power of Jesus Christ. That's why I challenge you to pray. I am praying, personally, the prayer of the psalmist, and I want to give this to you as well, and ask you to pray this. In Psalm 86, 11, where it says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely upon your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart. Let me be focused in my prayer for the vision that you give, Lord, that I might fear your name. And ask yourself, am I committed to being in the foxhole? Am I committed to following God in the long haul, no matter what? Others may do or not do. There are some churches in America right now that are so uncertain about their future that the insurance companies have stepped up to offer a key man life insurance policy. Now, this church does not live or die on Bill Warax being here. 
You could have another minister up here. This church lives or dies based on your obedience and your faith to Jesus Christ, period. But there are some churches that are so afraid that if Joel Osteen or others were to to step down, the church would die. Hillsong Church, just this past week, that does so many of those great worship songs, they declared themselves their own congregation or denomination, and they're installing their leaders, and they're offering to their leaders this uh, key man life insurance policy in the event of the death of their minister. The insurance company steps in, takes care of the church until somebody else is found. Now, we don't have that here for two reasons. One, I would be worth more to you as a church dead than alive. Okay? And secondly, with my failing eyesight, I don't want to live in daily fear of walking across this parking lot trying to spot the elders that are ready to run me over so that we can have uh, more finances in this church. And, and I don't want them joking with me saying, okay, Bill, but you know the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, I don't want them quoting that scripture to me to every meeting and saying, Bill, you, you know, you, you can give more. But friends, let's never forget why we do what we do. Churches that grow keep the main thing the main thing. And if you ever wonder why we're here, all you have to do is look to the cross. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. We do this for the sake of the one who stretched out his arms and with nail-pierced hands and a crown of thorns upon his head, with nails in his feet, Jesus said, I love you this much. I love you so much that it hurts. And I love you so much that I would rather die than live without you as part of my kingdom. The only way you and I are forgiven, the only way you and I ever have the promises of heaven is because of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we are here to point others to him. And he said, if I be lifted up, then I'll draw all men to myself. So if you ask any question at all, you ask, how can I lift up Christ? How can I exalt his name through this? Because friends, if we don't do that, It's as though we're looking to the eye of every neighbor around this church and saying, I don't care where you spend eternity. It doesn't matter to me. Now that's a frank way of putting it, but it's the truth. As long as there's one person within driving distance of this church, our goal is to reach them because they matter to God. They're one of his children. And that brings us to our third principle, and I'll, I'll close with this. Faith, trust in God's power and in his resource, not in our own. The Israelites had all but forgotten the power of God. Boy, if you read their story, you know they've seen it. God's already done some incredible miracles. Ten plagues on the land of Egypt, sparing the lives of the Israelites. He's already parted the Red Sea for the great escape. Water from a rock, bread from heaven, protection in their desert travels with clothes and sandals that never wore out. But here they are on the verge of entering God's promised land and they forgot his power. They forgot his resources and they started relying upon their own. And because of their lack of trust, they spent another 40 years walking around in circles in the wilderness until a whole generation perished beneath the sand. But the faithful few remembered 
And when it was time for God to again take his people into the land of promise, God spoke to Joshua, one of the faithful spies who had said, we can do this in God's power with God's presence for his plan. And God said to him in Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be what? And how many of you have said, I'm just so discouraged with church these days. Are we obeying? Or are we looking at the giants? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, where are we going, SCC? Do we have a faith to be a people filled with the vision to fulfill God's mission of going into all this world and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Are we willing to learn what God teaches so that we can teach others to obey everything that Jesus commanded? What kind of church do you want to be a part of? There was an old song that had the lyrics, I wonder what kind of church would my church be if every church member were just like me. I wonder how many souls would be saved today if it all depended on what I say. I wonder how many prayers would my Lord have to answer if all that he heard just came from me. I wonder what kind of church my church would be if every church member was just like me. How many times have I said, I love Jesus and turned a deaf ear to the need? How many times have I said, I'm a Christian, but never one soul did I lead? How many luxuries have I passed by to have more to give to the Lord? Jesus, I promise as long as I live from now on, I'm going to do more. No wonder my pastor has so many burdens I never did offer to bear. No wonder the members are bowed down with sorrow, for I never did offer to share. No wonder the healthier are dying in sin. No wonder the missions are lack. My heart was so cold and I'd lost my first love. But Jesus, I'm on my way back. See, that's a big part of what this whole series is about. We recognize we've not been on the level. And as we level up in our faith and our obedience to God, it's saying, God, through your strength, through your guidance and showing us, we want to be on our way back to being the church you designed us to be. For some of you this morning, it's stepping forward to say, maybe the reason things aren't going right because I've never given myself fully to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I don't quite understand all this church stuff, but I'm starting to understand that, that God loves me enough that he sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. And I need to receive what he did there, that I can be forgiven, that I can be saved, that I can be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, forgiven for my sins. Well, this time of decision, this is the time you do that. For some of you, it's time to say, I'm ready to be part of this church because membership is a lot more than just having my name written down on a church roll somewhere. It means that I see the mission that God has for us as people. It's not just for me as an individual. I belong to the kingdom of God. I belong to the church. and It's time for me and my faith to help balance out what happens here so that one day we can all share the words together Good job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And if you want to put your membership here, I want to invite you to come as well. But I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning, if you would. And let me pray for us before we close in prayer today. 
Everyone, if you'd stay with me, please. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, one of the reasons in my heart, you know I love that song, I'll never be the same again, is because there's too many days that have been the same. Waking up in the same old position, eating the same old breakfast, going through the same old motions to get ready for a day, doing the same things, talking to the same people, eating the same meals. Father, I've fallen into that. and You didn't make us to always be the same. You made us to be daily renewed by your word and by your spirit. You made us to grow in the knowledge and the depth and insight of your love for us. You made us to be servants who make an impact on this world. And you made us to be your church. Father, for some this morning, it's time to level up with you in their surrender. For some in this room, it's time to level up in their obedience to you. and They know what they're involved in. They know where they've been. They know the relationships that they've not lived according to your plan. And Father, they just want to ask for your forgiveness today. They want to set their hearts right with you and leave this place knowing I'm not going to be the same way that I came in. And by God's power today, tomorrow is going to be different. Father, I thank you for being the one that holds our lives in your hands. You're the destiny maker. You're our king. And Father, we want our lives as individuals and as a church to make some ripples in this world for you. So Father, work in us. Level us up for your honor, for your glory. And because and in the name of Jesus, we can pray. Amen.